This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 150. Today on our show, Bruce Cromer. I don't know. Those were awfully big, big shoes to fill. But he also told me it'll take you like three years before you get this under your belt and you really feel like you know what you're doing. Bruce is probably best known as Scrooge from the Playhouse in the Park production of A Christmas Carol. You've likely seen him in any number of regional productions, as well as a major motion picture that was released last year. Bruce talked to us about building a career in regional theater, spending time in New York and L.A., teaching acting at his alma mater, Wright State University, and, of course, a lot about A Christmas Carol, and a whole lot more. If you've been liking the podcast, you can support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now let's talk to Bruce Cromer. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from Cincinnati. Once in a while, I'm at com in Cincinnati. I'm always happy to, yeah, to talk about uh, being a regional theater actor. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got loads of questions there, too, because I, uh, I have some okay. mates that, that do that. And, uh, in fact, a, a fellow you may know, uh, Ken Jones, uh, was. Uh, are you familiar with from NKU? He's, he's their big theater <sighs> guy. Uh, no, that's a terrible thing. Is I, my, my head's a, I, I'm not a good actor in terms of uh, na- remembering the names of contacts and stuff. Oh, okay. But Ken's Ken's bit, uh, busy in regional theater as well. Yeah, yeah. He does uh, NKU. He runs their program, and my buddy Troy was one of his students, and they they've been uh, close mates ever since, uh, going back to the '90s. And uh, yeah, he produced a production. Okay. In southern yeah. Indiana for the Lincoln Theater there. the, the, the uh, He produced and wrote and produced that production and all that. So I thought you all kind of knew each other. I don't <laughs> Well, it's funny because I teach at Wright State, and um, sometimes I'm not as aware of my colleagues in other academia situations as I should be. Well, I guess that makes sense. But I know a couple of people that taught it uh, down there. Greg Procaccino, I think, might have taught at NKU a couple of times. And John Baca... This fight director guy I know has taught there. Okay. Um, so let's, we usually go back to and get your Cincinnati bona fides in first, or Southwest Ohio bona fides. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm uh, originally from Westerville, Ohio, little okay. Columbus suburb. Yeah. Probably most famous, at least when I was there, uh, the, ma- the major thing they did was educate people. <laughs> it seemed like a suburb that was just full of schools. Yeah, isn't there a college right in there? Otterbein right? College. Yeah. Yes, my dad uh, used to work there doing ROTC way back in the 60s. Uh, a, a gal that she's on a bunch of stuff. Uh, she was on Modern Family for a small arc. She was from Westerville and she went there. And I can't remember yeah. her name. She was just. Yeah, I bet I know. D. Hody? N- uh, no, she's in the show about the devil on CBS. She, Lucifer. Oh, okay. She's the psychiatrist. Okay. Little, yeah, little blonde girl. Program. Blonde girl. She's Not my as good, age. Of course, is Wright State yeah, University, but, uh, where I teach, and I'm an alumni of. But of course <laughs> not. 
Well, no, not at all. So did you get the acting bug early, something you always wanted to do, or did, did it come later? Did you fall into it? How did it all come no, about? No, I was, I was a shy kid, a nerd, you know, glasses, and, and oh, God, I, I hate to think of the outfits that I wore in my school photos. But huh. I had a sixth-grade English teacher. I, I always did like language and, and the spoken word and... and uh, the printed word too. So I was always a reader. But this English teacher said, they're doing a play, uh, Bruce. I think you'd be good in it. I had no idea why she'd even consider it. But uh, that was my first experience. I was Christopher Robin in the house at Pooh Corner. Oh, wow. At my uh, junior high school. You can imagine how rough that is. Huh. Uh, yeah, uh, for a, a seventh grade kid, you know, that's also involved in sports. But no, I took to it. I, I just really loved it. My dad did do variety show things for ROTC when he taught uh, at Otterbein. So um, I, I think that affected me as well. Aha. And so growing up, did you, was it something you always kind of envisioned yourself doing, being in showbiz? Or did before the play, did you have other... Uh, no, sort of- I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to be a journalist, I remember. When I was in, in uh, high school... Journalism class was the thing, thing I really thought that's, that was what was going to steer me into a writing career of some type. But no, I was also doing so many shows at the time, and that's how I got my first girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> a lot of actors, you know, that's why you go into uh, show business, is so you can be more attracted to the, uh, the opposite sex. But um, no, I got, the, I got the bug. And then when I went to school... For whatever reasons, I, I thought, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a BFA in acting. And it was the right choice. So did you choose Wright State for the theater program or just because it seemed like a nice place to go and it also had a theater program? or was? Uh, yeah, uh, this was really, back in 1975, the BFA acting program was just getting created. So it was a happy happy conjunction of the planets or something that made me go to Wright State. Uh, it was basically because it was cheap. It was far enough away from home, but close enough I could do my laundry. Huh. And uh, it turned out to be, um, I think one of the main reasons you go to college that you don't know about is the friends that you're going to make, the lifelong friends. I got my wife for of uh, 39 years, Carol Allen, out of, out of Wright State. But it really was. It was a it was an excellent program. At Wright State was real tiny back then, wasn't it? Or, or was it? Because I, I, I don't recall hearing yeah, about Wright it, State a lot it, until the late four 90s. buildings. Yeah, they called it uh, the Quad because it had four buildings around this central um, um, square where the students would congregate. But yeah, it's always been sort of like a commuter college. It, the sidewalks roll up at 5 o'clock, everybody goes home. It's changed a lot over the decades, but... Yeah, it was really small back then. Yeah, it's huge now. It, it takes up that whole side of 675, and then there's, there's even a walkway over 675 to the mall side yeah, of uh, Fairborn. Right. It's just grown. Uh, the uh, the research side that ties in with the uh, Wright Pat Air Force Base, as well as the the uh, med school, has taken off. But um, I, I still say this is what my chair, of course, says. The uh, theater department where I taught for 32 years. It's it's the uh, How's he call it? It's the high-profile ship's prow of the <laughs> university because we're out there singing and dancing and entertaining and getting into interview shows like this because of it. 
<laughs> did your folks have any trepidation about you uh, becoming show folk? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I've got two sons that are um, geared towards performing as well. And um, I think I come at it with a little bit more knowledge. But my, my parents knew that it was, it's gig employment. It's uh, you've got a job, even though I'm a union actor, uh, my contracts last for about eight weeks, period. And then you go looking for the next job. So they knew it was going to be up and down financially. Um, my mom really didn't understand it. My dad, I think, was a frustrated actor. So he really did support me a lot. And uh, it was one of my proudest achievements. I, I did Hamlet at age 25 at the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. And both my parents were in the audience um, for my opening night, and I got a standing ovation. My mom slept through half of the play, but dad just, he was thrilled. Yeah. Can you? They do Shakespeare down there in Alabama? They do. They do. It's Southern Fried Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) There was a a, um, barber I went to. And he had come to see Othello. And uh, this was before, this was the season before I showed up. But I went to this guy to get his hair, my haircut. And he said, you know, uh, I went to the Shakespeare Festival, but it, it had a, uh, it had an interracial kiss that uh, <laughs> I just, I know you're from the North, but we, we don't like that type of stuff. <laughs> I thought, yeah, okay. <laughs> so can you randomly recite Shakespeare? I can. Um, I can do Puck. I can do a little bit of Lear. I can do Hamlet. It's amazing how much this stuff sticks in your head. It's sort of like musical theater folks who can just remember every song they've ever sang on stage. Um, There's so much of the verse and sometimes it's the ideas. But for me, it's you spend so much time memorizing and studying the role. And I like to come into a first read through with the lines down for the most part, but they're, yeah, they're hard to eject after a while at age 63. I wish I could clear some more brain space. (laughs) Well, there's always that trope on TV where people randomly recite Shakespeare. And it's always fascinated me. Something like this isn't a thing in real life. And then uh, Jason Jones, who used to be on uh, the daily show, people might remember he was a correspondent. He's married to Samantha B. Shakespearean actor by training. He was on Marin's podcast, and he was just and, and he, Shakespeare didn't really come up directly, but he just start. He was mentioning his past as a Shakespearean, and he could rattle off Shakespeare off the top of his head. I'm like, oh, so people really can do that. And also, I was wondering if that was really just a trope, <laughs> or if that is something like you're saying. Once you study Shakespeare, you read. You have to memorize it so much it just does stick with you. It's just a party trick, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Nobody talks like well, that. Well, Sometimes you uh, get into the thing of, of when I was studying for Hamlet, I was I was studying all the great Hamlets. So Richard Burton, I, I would do my lines sometimes like Richard B- Burton, speak the speech, I pray you, as I pronounced it to you, trippingly on the tongue. <laughs> and and uh, that's weird, but you really do get trained by older generations. And it's something about the way, especially the, the old guys that were more staged than film, they they could just wrap their mouths around this language and make it sound so rich, like the best uh, 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 fruitcake you'd get at Christmas, but one that wasn't hard and crusty. 
<laughs> is there a way to make Shakespeare your own, or are you, is you kind of boxed in because of you know the way it's written and maybe the pentameter that you can only you only have so much. You no, know. It's, it's again, it's a lot of which companies you work for. I've worked for Alabama Shakes for seven seasons, and then I've done Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey now for oh wow, I don't know how many shows, and it's been spread out over a couple of years, but at least at least seven years. And Cincinnati Shakes, of course, I've been really fortunate to be working with them. It's funny, though, how many non-Shakespeare shows I've done at Cincy Shakes. But um, each company, oftentimes they approach speaking the verse in a slightly different way. And you just have to sort of plug in and, and get your bearings in the first couple of rehearsals. And two, you can affect, especially if you're playing the leading roles, you can affect whether people are more locked in to iambic pentameter, or the way I was trained is basically um, go with the flow, see what the uh, director allows. And there's there's some purists that would say, no, you can't pause in Shakespeare. You have to, it's like a music lyric, etc. But uh, to me, it's it's more a matter of tell a good story. So I mean, you feel like people are critiquing your Shakespeare when... Uh... When you're on stage, or I mean, I mean, are the people that say, "Oh yeah, you should have done it this way," or are you you said "the" when you should have said "thou"? Or <laughs> yeah, no, Josh. <laughs> sometimes at Alabama, you'd have these. When you're really working for a Shakespeare festival that's been around for decades, you'll get especially older people. They'll show up and they'll actually have <laughs> their complete works or a copy of the play on their laps. So it's like in a church, following along in the Bible. Uh, yeah, sometimes it can be really intimidating. Yeah. So when you finished studying up at Wright State, did you uh, have notions of going off to New York or California, or uh, did you do start gravitating toward teaching then? What what happened at, at that yeah. point? Uh, um, unfortunately, and it still continues in a lot of training programs. Kids are brainwashed that if you're in musical theater, you have to go to New York. The only place that musical theater exists is Broadway, which is why we've, you've got so many grads going there from all of these training programs, especially musical theater programs all across the country. And they go and the kids can't get jobs and they, they get settled down with a day job that just sucks their soul. And some of them switch gears. They just go into a different profession. But um, I was lucky enough that somebody stuck it in my head that there's theater all across the country and uh, you can plug into a place where you'd really like to live. And if you are wired as I was to not only get married, but to have kids, um, you can start a career from one place and still work across the country. The union pays, you know, you get a contract and you get paid to be flown into wherever you're going to work. So my wife and I spent two years in uh, New York. I hated it. Uh, I'm just a small town boy. And we spent about a year in LA looking at the, the movie trade. But uh, no, for the most part, I was blessed when I got down in, in uh, financial straits with two kids who had a medical condition. And my old school, alma mater, Wright State, offered me a teaching job. I came back here and Cincy especially, it took me a while but I worked at the Human Race Theater in Dayton. And then I did uh, an audition for Christmas Carol at Cincinnati Playhouse and got Bob Cratchit. And then 
the doors just started opening. Ensemble Theater of Cincinnati hired me, Cincinnati Shakespeare Company hired me. I eventually got the job at uh, Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. So when you're a regional theater actor, I tell my students, find artistic homes. I have five. If each of them uh, hired me every year and the jobs didn't overlap, that would be as many projects as I could do anyway, you know, but um, the money is, it's up and down. You know, you, you, a job, one theater because of its size will pay you 350 a week to do King Lear. And then you can go to the Cincinnati Playhouse, which is over $900 a week. And you can be doing a walk-on. <laughs> so that's just the, uh, that's just the ups and downs of the profession. It's kind of like a stand-up comedy, and I've interviewed a lot of comedians who say, you know, you don't really need to be a huge name. You just be able to be able to go to a dozen, half dozen towns where everybody happens to know you. Maybe you get friendly with the radio folks there, and you go there, and people, oh yeah, that's it, he. This guy is about, or this gal is back in town. We're gonna go see him or her, and you can make a pretty nice living uh, just doing that. Yeah, I, I guess I for saw musicians, that you guys had had you'd had some stand-ups on the show. Um, it. It is. You've got to get established. And my middle-aged friends told me when I was in my 20s, wait until you're in your 40s. Everybody smart will leave the profession. <laughs> and you'll have this uh, resume and a bunch of contacts. And that's when you'll, you'll start working regularly. And even though I was teaching full time, uh, that, that turned out to be true. Was uh, teaching a, a challenge or did that come naturally to you? Were you... Uh, did it take some time to adjust? Oh, I don't know if either of you guys have taught. To me, the, the terrible thing is when you're trying to teach an art form and you, you're saddled with going A, B, C, D, F, this lunacy of grading people, that's what I've struggled with. Um, and that's why I think it's called academentia. <laughs> it's a bureaucracy that's got a lot of people that, again, think that they're very important and I, as an actor, interestingly, as opposed to being, I think, the stereotypical egotist, I'm just constantly humbled by when I walk out on a stage, I learn everything new again in so many ways. And so uh, to me, the, the tough thing about teaching was if I was acting, I felt like I had every right to go in a room and share possibilities with them. But I'm a big believer there's no one way to uh, act, to act Shakespeare, to act contemporary plays. You know, you just have to constantly be learning. And I think, yeah, stay humble. The cool thing is if you get a bad review, that, that'll make you humble real quick. Have you ever been uh, on stage in your various capacities, traveling all over and, and been with people that are like, how are these people acting? Or conversely, have you ever been just blown away by somebody and it's just a, you know, a guy like you that's uh, just, it's just his, this is just his gig going from, from town to town or gal. Yeah. Um, you guys won't know the name, but Joniel Joplin was my, my Scrooge, uh, at the playhouse for eight years. And Joniel is like this, this, uh, uh, he's in his eighties now and he's still acting. He says he's retired and he can, he got national commercials for, um, a Budweiser for the Super Bowl show. So the residuals off of that alone, you know, he's comfortably getting pensions from SAG-AFTRA, uh, Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, as well as Actors' Equity. Uh, but, you know, Jop will keep acting until he plops over. Hmm. Um, 
he he's one of my icons. There there's several guys that I met when I was in my twenties, and I thought this is this is the life I'd I'd really enjoy. Nobody knows them. It's not like they're household names, but they also don't have cameras flashing in their faces. I was just going to say, and, uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, people writing autobiography, well, biographies of them that are totally uh, false. <laughs> well, that, that must be nice. You too. guys read the. Oh, go ahead. You read the the stories though, right? The autobiographies and biographies of these people and stars, and sometimes you go, God, there but for the grace of God, you know, uh, what a horrible way to live your life. Yeah, I was going to say because you know, even you're most recognized probably in these parts uh, for a Christmas Carol because we see the commercials everywhere and things like. That. But really, you're made up a little bit, so people probably don't really recognize you walking by you. You know, there in in Yellow Springs or Dayton, wherever it may be, and maybe even full makeup they might. So, um, yeah, that's you got Dave yeah. down the street. People Ex- are worried about him more than yes, him. true, true, right. Uh, I mean, and you see Dave a lot. He's walking across the street. Everybody jaywalks in uh, Yellow Springs because <laughs> it's so small. But you go, yeah, there's Dave Chappelle. Leave him alone. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't pay any attention to him. Leave him alone. <laughs> How did yeah. you wind up settling in Yellow Springs? Because, because uh, I, I never knew much about it. Uh, uh, people I used to work with on the Burbank show were mad for it. But we didn't go up until about, uh, <laughs> gosh, a couple of years ago, we didn't really discover it. And now we're crazy about it. And we go up there, you know, uh, about once a month. Yeah. Yeah, what a great place. I mean, come on. They've got like three coffee houses and at least two tattoo shops <laughs> and uh, uh, one import house. But now we've got two, the accompanying uh, uh, pot plant on the outskirts of town. It's medicinal marijuana, of course. Of course. <laughs> I'm going, yeah, and then you just have to go down to the village and get a bong. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, people call it ancient hippie town. Yeah. Yeah, it does have a cool vibe to it. That's for sure. We... We uh, were able to go out to one of Dave's shows uh, this summer. He's like, you know, right, in, right behind the Christmas tree farm, and you know, the, you got the dairy, right. everything there, and just like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was no, that was great. My two of my sons were lucky enough to snag tickets. You know, how much did you have to pay? Do you want to say uh, uh, on the air? Oh well, actually, uh, we did shirts for uh, Mo Amer, one of the openers. And he was like, hey, <laughs> if you get these to me on Wednesday, I'll get you guys VIP tickets. So uh, we went right. up there. We got our rapid COVID test. We actually stood behind Bill Burr waiting on our results. Bill Burr. Just, <laughs> oh, man. We hung out with Bill Burr, Brian Regan, Dave. Uh, all, oh. it, it was it was unbelievable. It was one of those things. Just yeah. Like, but- I just can't believe I'm doing this. That's that's what's amazing is how many celebrities like Chappelle. It's like, of course, you you don't have to live in L.A. now. You don't have to live in New York. You can uh, work from wherever. And of course, they can afford it. But, you know, I think a lot of them want to go back to their hometown and build a safe little haven and not have people constantly bothering them on the street. Yeah. The uh, the 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 bloke off Dawson's Creek, Dawson, he moved uh, his wife said we're, we're moving back to Texas where I'm from and he's like, "Okay, there's a big thing in People magazine about it I saw." So yeah, even like the Yeah. the, the big stars are they're they're getting out. They're cutting out of LA and New York, I reckon. Right. Yeah. Right. Um yeah, yeah. There, there used to be a great and It's uh, amazing that because of the band, I'm sorry. No, because ahead. of the pandemic, you've got people like uh, I think Michael Sarah got in a van and drove back to his mom's place in Indiana, but they have a, a young son 
and uh, it was a great way to sort of see the country <laughs> safely. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's what's also happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how has the pandemic been affecting your work, both as an actor and as a teacher? Because I know a lot of you know schools have gone uh, online only, but like my uh, my daughter's boyfriend is he's finishing up at NKU, and one of his classes he has to show up for. The other ones he can do remotely. But uh, how's all, how's that affected you overall? Wow, what's the class that he has to show up for? Do you it, know, it's a media class of some sort. He's doing. He's uh, like a mm. not a filmmaker, but he's like a, a mixed media course. And I I can't remember which one yeah. it is that he has to be there for in person. But well, Wright State was was really smart. They said uh, we will make it so that any faculty member who feels that they are especially vulnerable, they can teach online definitely then for all students they have to have the choice of being either in person or online and sometimes for acting classes especially you'll do a hybrid you'll have maybe 10 people in the class two will show up on a given day at a, a certain time and work in person uh in masks in the studio with the, the teacher while everybody else is watching online but you know that's that's what's tough uh, I teach a movement class that involves some scene work, and uh, we went exclusively online for it. It worked out fine because the great thing is everybody's at their laptop. You have immediate access to a video about body language or talking about a particular production of, of Midsummer Night's Dream, and then you can see, you know, five or six as as quickly as it takes you to, to uh, tap in the, the Google search. But... Um, the teaching's just not the same. I'm going to retire at the end of this year, and it's just odd. I know with the vaccine out, hopefully in the fall, it'll get back to a little bit more normal. But I'm teaching stage combat next semester. I was going to ask about that. for 32 years. Yeah, and I can't, the, the students cannot all be in the room with me. Luckily, it's only a group of 10. But uh, according to protocols and everything, um, you cannot do body to body. We cannot do unarmed combat. <laughs> we can't be rolling on top of each other. Well, uh, uh, quarter staff, quarter staff might work out all right. You got a six foot staff, and you can keep your distance. <laughs> so pre pre pandemic, what's a, a course like stage? Because I have my notes here. What is a, a course like stage combat? What's that like? Well, you learn. It's really like training, just like the the. Uh, um, people doing it in movies, the stars. You have to get crash courses in that case, but uh, they're being paid enough. They can work consistently for hours on end, you know, in the weeks prior to the big, the one time they'll shoot the fight scene, <laughs> the one day they'll shoot the fight scene. I'm teaching towards stage. So it starts with a lot of like competitive fencing type of footwork and parries and then you start adding uh, acting scenes on top of it and characterization and stuff. But always this, the, the, um, the main thing is it's got to be safe. It's got to be dynamic. And if you have to give up a little bit of believability for a greater theatrical safety, that's teaching them how to do that too. Because, you know, some people, I, I've, I do fight choreography and I've worked with like opera singers and they're notoriously, especially the men, you know, they come up to you at the, in the first rehearsal or read through or sing through, and they'll say things like, you know, I got a bad back. Uh, if you could keep me from doing any falls, that, that'd be really great. And <laughs> I, I'd, my wind's not that good. 
So, you know, you, you learn to tailor it down and make it safe for that particular actor. So they look the best they can. Is there- I was actually watching uh, the making of Home Alone on Netflix last night. Is the, the movie that was yeah. made Home oh. Alone. And they had the stunt doubles for the burglars on there. And <laughs> they were talking about, you know, they, they do these falls off of, uh, you know, because the, the, the entryway is slick and they're, you know, they're falling down the stairs. Right on ice. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, concrete. Okay. Yeah, tell us how you do that. You know, like give us the the, the tip <laughs> to make it look like it hurts. And it was just some beefcake, and he was just like, "Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, I was just you know fall, jumping as high as I could and landed on my back. Like that was it. Like he was probably literally in pain every night doing all these falls and yeah, breaking his neck and stuff. Yeah, one of my one of my ex students, uh, Tim Brown, uh, does has done uh, a bunch of, of the, um, oh, what's the zombie films? Uh, I'm Night of the forget, Living Dead? But he's done uh, Frost Giant and Living Dead. I think it's Living Dead. Um, but he's done a Frost Giant in Thor. He's done, uh, oh, in Daredevil, if you ever watch the Netflix series, he's one of the guys that Daredevil fights on the, the uh, steps. <laughs> the, the Going down to the basement, it's like four flights of concrete steps. But he came and gave us a workshop and talks about, you know, you're heavily padded and you know you're only going to have to do it a couple of times because the the people don't want to pay for uh, injuries and things like that. But, um, yeah, these these guys, they really know what they're doing and they have to train extensively uh, for that type of stuff. But... um, Stage, the nice thing about stage is you're going to have to do it eight times a week. So it has to be repeatable, obviously has to be safe. Um, and I call them hot dog moves. If you're going to do a big fall or something like that, or, you know, the, the guy's getting hit in the head with the iron huh. <laughs> yeah. in Home Alone. I, I, I found that fascinating. It's like, yeah. even if this is hard rubber, yeah, it's you're still taking a hit. That can hurt. <laughs> it's nuts. You, yeah. Okay, so you, yeah. so you mentioned about having to do this, you know, for a play eight times a week. Um, does that grind, or is it a grind? It's, it just seems like I, I don't know. Like, so I, I've seen uh, what Hamilton and Book of Mormon and uh, what Wicked, and I went home mm-hmm. and I got my playbill and <laughs> I, I looked up the actors on Instagram and I started following on Instagram. And then, you know, then they leave Cincinnati and yeah. then they're in another town and they're in another town. And it's like six months later, I'm still looking at these people updating. OK, I'm in the, <laughs> I'm in the, the, the chair today, get my makeup on. You know, we got two shows and blah, blah, blah. It's just it's almost like a drain to like, you know, after a while, you kind of feel sorry yeah. for them. It's like, man, this guy has to go out and yeah. be Elder Cunningham, you know, for, for years. It was like <laughs> years, this guy. Same thing every night. Yeah. I, I've seen Book of Mormon uh, twice. Yeah, that's John another Kirk reason why. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's what's your. That's take another on reason that, why, man? Josh. I'm I'm I'm. Yeah, I'm so happy that as a regional theater actor, I run it, and uh, you know, you rehearse for roughly four weeks, you do it for four weeks, and then you're going to go on to the next project. Now, a lot of people don't like it because that's a lot of words, especially if you're playing leading roles. That's a lot of words you got to stick in your head, but. Uh, to do a show like Les Miserables on Broadway for 15 years, they talk Ooh. about guys that uh, men and women were doing that show and they, they bought a house 
they they put their kids through college um but they were also on their smartphones when they were on the barricades because they they know this they know this so well they can literally do it in their sleep i would go crazy i I would go crazy we do um we do 40 uh, performances of christmas carol every year so you can do the math if i've done 23 years of christmas carol this it's equivalent to a broadway run of several years but i get nine months off in between (laughs) it's the best of both worlds I remember when we were up in Chicago, we uh, saw we went and saw Wicked, and uh, we we went to a uh, kind of a backstage kind of thing you could pay for and talk to some of the actors. And I was interested to find out that in a lot of cases, uh, not only do you you have to learn more than one role because they rotate guys in and out, someone yeah. gets sick, and then the the bottom of the of the company, they're the the background people. Uh, some of them can get pulled up to the next level up in the production, and then someone else gets kicked up because someone is either off or has a has another job in another town, or maybe they just happen to be ill that week or something, and they can't do it. So I thought that was interesting. So not only do you have no. to learn your own role and keep that in your head and maybe do it, like you're saying, dozens and dozens of times, you also in the back you're right have to keep another role or two and be ready to do that. That's got to be, like, super challenging. Right. Yeah, they've got swings and stuff. That swings, that's it, cover, yeah. And it involves dance dancing numbers and you know they'll have to cover like six or seven tracks um insane that's just insane but i had a a friend of mine brent harris who did the lion king tour and played scar and it was one of the biggest paychecks of course it's disney and it was a broadway national tour it was one of the biggest paychecks he ever got in his life as a generally as a regional stage actor but he talks about you know doing that show for two years and literally the scar uh, headpiece that he had to wear was just like digging into his skull. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, this, you, this is Disney. They can fix it. He literally got uh, uh, so ill that he was out of the show for, I think, two weeks in some small little town in, in America uh, in the hotel room. But a lot of it was, again, just the grind of the show. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Not yeah. for me. Creative people, and you know, as a creative person myself, it's like, yeah, you you, you get your rocks off from the the freshness and the new. The, <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing about being creative is you create new things. I just can't imagine you yeah. know, like the same yeah. thing, you, or you you get to the pinnacle. You're like, yeah, I'm on Broadway, and then it's like, wow, <laughs> like I, I I don't know. <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure people love it. And I'm yeah, glad that they do because you know people, you know they they do a great job. But wow. That, so uh, it, it, it really, I, I saw a Frank Sinatra special documentary recently, and to realize these singers, when you've got a career that goes for 50, 50 years, and they're asking you to, again, sing that one song. <laughs> yeah, also, like bands. I don't know how that does. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I, I was reading an interview with uh, my favorite band the other day, and they were... Uh, they uh, were going to put on a show on the on the internet to help their crew because their crew isn't eligible in Britain for any of this, the uh, unemployment schemes. So, so they put uh, we have an internet only show, and all the fans donated money, and then they had to cancel the show. But the fan, no one, none of the fans wanted the money back. Thank God, it all went to the crew. But they were saying, yeah, we were, we felt badly right. for our crew, so we got we got we got them some money, but we can't wait to get back out on the road. And they've been doing this since 1979, yeah. and it's you know mostly the same yeah. songs from their catalog, and they they love it. <laughs> so. 
But, um, right. But I, guess I, you, I wonder if uh, creativity, it's, it's partially this thing of you want to be creative. And there's another part that, again, I'll say it's that humility thing. It's like, can I get this song exactly right tonight? Can I do it exactly right? And I know um, if you're playing a big Shakespeare part, you go, I'll never get Hamlet right. I'll never get King Lear right. So tonight I'm going to go out and I'm going to keep my little, my little running tab in my mind <laughs> of nailed that scene. That one sucked. You know? <laughs> but that's the pleasure of, of doing it over and over again. But just for four weeks. Just for four weeks. So you said you've been doing A Christmas Carol for 23 years. Was that, that an accurate number? 23 years. 23, so you, and you started as Bob Cratchit. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Eight years as Bob, and then I got moved to the big chair when yeah. uh, Joe Neal um, retired, and he was great. He said uh, to Michael Haney, the director, "You know, you know who you need to put in as Scrooge is this guy," and I really, I just didn't think of myself on that that level of. Um, it, it's not that I ha I've done leading roles before, but Scrooge, I was too young for it. I was like forty five. And Jop has got this star presence, and I'm more of an actor that sort of likes to bury myself, again, because I'm an introvert. I like to bury myself in the character. And uh, uh, I don't know, those were awfully big, big shoes to fill. And, but he also told me, it'll take you like three years before you get this under your belt and you really feel like you know what you're doing. And I think he had the learning curve about right first year you're so self-conscious and you're just trying to hit all the points the second year you're going oh i feel a little bit a little bit confident here but i'm still not where i should be and then by the third year you basically go look it is what it is go out there and give these people 650 people per night they bring their families they've been coming to the show for for decades tell the story all you have to do is tell the story now, my English teacher in high school pointed out that there is a he he thinks is a mistake at the beginning of a Christmas Carol, where uh, the first ghost says it's going to be three successive nights, and then by the end of the play, it's like, oh, the spirits have done it all in one night. Do you think that was an error that Dickens didn't <laughs> fix, or did? Because there's no word processors about that. He probably got to the end and was like, oh crap, I said it was going to be three successive nights. I can't go back and. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I started, I'm doing this radio adaptation that's going to be on WVXU for the Playhouse, since we couldn't do it live this year. But we started with Charles Dickens' uh, reading script, because he would go out and give public readings, came to America, toured all over the, uh, England. They say that that's a lot of what precipitated an early death for him, is he'd get so much into these readings, and it was a very tough performance schedule. But his script for Christmas Carol was about uh, an hour and a half, which, you know, back in the, in the 1800s, you could get away with. <laughs> now with, with TV and smartphones, we're on a faster pace. So my version had to be cut down to 60 minutes. But it's, it's true, P.F. I, I went through his script, and it's like he wasn't paying attention to what he had edited out. He would oh. refer to something that hadn't happened in that particular performance. It might happen in the book. Ah. Yeah, I've heard that thing, though, too, about, yeah, the time discrepancy. It's true. I think he, he dashed this off relatively quickly, and uh, God knows it, it was a success. 
But uh, yeah, he didn't pay that much attention, I think, to some things like that. Does does the show change over time a little bit? Because I remember uh, when we went to that thing with the the Wicked actors, they were saying, you know, occasionally people suggest things will get taken in, taken out, adjusted. You know, the show you're seeing tonight in Chicago is not like the the, the first time we came to Chicago. There's a couple of things will be different in it. Does that happen with the Christmas Carol here in Cincinnati, or is it you you get the because people want to see the same thing every year and they're kind of expecting it? Well, we don't really change the script that much. And the the set, again, has got this wonderful, um, it's got uh, uh, trap doors in it, lifts, uh, the uh, turrets, the Lon- London lo- landscape turns around so you can get uh, five different houses out of one piece of scenery. It's got special effects for the ghosts and things. That's basically the same. But every year there would be new people added to the script, generally the same core group. But when you add a character, a new character, um, in like uh, Mrs. Peake, who's Christmas, who's uh, Scrooge's uh, housekeeper, you get somebody with a different sense of comedy or a different take on the dialect. And uh, the rhythms change a little bit. With kids, I love the kids in the show, but uh, I, I have to play with George the Turkey Boy. And George the Turkey Boy for us is generally like a, a 11 or 12 year old. And sometimes it's their first show. <laughs> so, and they've always been great. They've always been great. But sometimes I have to speak a little bit louder to them because they're, they're too quiet one night on stage. And it's my way of reminding them, you've got the big, got to hear you in the back row. And Project. other kids, they, they get a little hammy. <laughs> and they want to take over the scene, but it's great. They they really are so pure on stage. You know, they're not self conscious. So that helps keep it fresh, I guess. Then each year to year. That exactly. Uh, the uh, young woman who plays the lead in the prom that's now on Netflix, Joe uh, Joe Ellen Pellman. She was our Martha and Belinda Cratchit way back when. And so the other night I'm turning on this film and she has her first big entrance and I go, well, that's an interesting young actress. It looks like a young Drew Barrymore. Hmm. And then they flash her name and I'm going, oh my God. But <laughs> that's uh, one of the students that I have now in the Wright State Acting Program is a, f- a former child actor in Christmas Carol. It, they get the infected by the bug. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, you were in a film last year. That was uh, Dark Water? I was. My first film. Yeah. Dark Waters. Uh, I had a scene with uh, a couple of scenes with Mark Ruffalo and uh, one with uh, him and uh, Anne Hathaway, Tim Robbins, Victor Garber. Um, that was thrilling. And that was in downtown, filmed in downtown Cincinnati uh, by the actual Taft-Hartley Law Offices. Um as well as, you know, there are other locations in the Cincinnati Men's Club and things like that. But uh, that was terrifying for a stage actor, at least a first film to me, it was terrifying because you've got this mic on under your tie. Um, I've got a stage voice, so I had to constantly pull it down for the mic and you feel like you're mumbling. And then oh. meanwhile, you're going, oh my God, that's Mark Ruffalo, <laughs> Mark Ruffalo. And Part of it's not, to me, star, the aura of a star, but having so uh, respected his work in Spotlight 
and uh, you just start, yeah, of course he's the Hulk, but this is a brilliant actor. And to be actually in a set, on a set, running lines with him before we go and do the scene, it was uh, amazing, very intimidating, though. Wow. So with more and more movies being filmed around here due to tax breaks or, you know, architecture or whatever, are you on some short list of uh, actors that they call? Well, there's um, the, the artistic director of the ensemble uh, theater Cincinnati, uh, Lynn Myers, D. Lynn Myers. She's been a casting person uh, for decades, and uh, she takes care of extras and smaller speaking parts when they come through. Cincinnati, but Josh, you're dead on. A lot of it is because of the tax breaks, and a lot of it is because of the uh, architecture that they've got in Cincinnati. They did the film Carol. That was another Todd Haynes directed film. Yeah. But you can, yeah, you go to the old uh, department stores in Cincinnati that are now loft apartments, and you go, yes, of course they came here to make, again, a film about uh, the 50s and people uh, shopping downtown for Christmas. There's so many sections of Cincinnati that are turn of the century. I mean, they're, they're fabulous locales. And I will pat us on the back a bit. The local actors are damn good. If you see, uh, I forget the Miles Davis film that was shot here with Don Cheadle. Oh, yeah. But so many of my friends from, yeah, Cincinnati Shakespeare company there's one scene where they go into a meeting and i go oh my god i know five of the guys that are in that room <laughs> and don Cheadle as well it's it's happening more and more i think um not only in cincinnati but all across the country it's just more decentralized now so there's probably more talent out there than we even realize it just doesn't happen to be uh, on one of the coasts Exactly, exactly. And stage actors, the, the good thing about us is, yes, we tend to be a bit bigger and, and louder when we're uh, on stage, but uh, there's a technique that even when you're terrified, as literally I was, I had stage fright all six days of the shoot, and those are very long days. So I was mentally and emotionally exhausted at the end of them. But when I look at the film, I go, yeah, there's a lot to be said for... Um, Somebody has to go on stage every night and do a two-hour show and then wake up at the very end and, and Scrooge is redeemed and jumping around like a child once again and doing cartwheels and things. There's a lot to be said for that type of on-the-job training. You can hide uh, your real fear and stuff and just get the job done. It's funny because I always I hear... I did have a great conversation... Okay. I had a great conversation with Mark Ruffalo and Anne Hathaway, though, because we did have this break, and I didn't want to be that guy <laughs> that bothers them while we are all working. <laughs> but I said, I, I, I'm a stage actor. I don't know how you guys do this. You get up at the crack of dawn. You have a rehearsal that's basically this is where you stand. You don't really go through the scene at all. And then you you have long days. Ruffalo produced that as well as starred in Dark Waters. And I said, I don't know how you did, do it. And Anne Hathaway was just very charming. And she said, it was a very quick conversation. But she was saying, well, you know, um, that's part of the job, being a mother now. I, I understand you got to be there and do it when it's, when it's time. And Ruffalo said, yeah, it's just, 
it's part of the rhythms after a while. You just get used to it. Anyway, that was a great little glimpse for me on, I'm so comfortable on stage and people ask me, how do you do that? I just, uh, even with that type of acting experience, I can't imagine the pressure that these people, these movie stars are under. Uh, I was- oh, did you guys hear, did you guys hear though the, the uh, Tom Cruise rant? No, audio. I heard oh, yeah. some. I heard something about. I saw a thing on Twitter, and I meant to go back and look at. It. I just saw the little blurb that said, uh, "Audio captures uh, Tom Cruise flipping out about COVID or something like that." And I forgot to go back and look at yeah. it. I mean, that's what you got to do. Aren't they? Is that the movie set that everyone's like sequestered on a yacht or like I don't know? <laughs> yes. Put big bucks, but somebody put a big bucks so you yes. be able to film that thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think a lot of it is it's. It's Tom Cruise that's uh, paying for it. But yeah, it's Mission Impossible 5. And he went on this uh, very profanity-laced uh, <laughs> tirade against guys that, I don't know, the, the story I heard was two guys were, even if they were masked, they were too close together. But wow. I've also heard, a lot of this is, of course, is rumor, that they've already shut down that production like four times. But he has a lot of bleeps depending on which audio recording you listen to. <laughs> but he's saying, don't you guys realize we are the industry now? We are trying to set the standard for the rest of the people to get back in, in, in employment. And meanwhile, you are endangering people's homes, their ability to pay for their homes, their kids' college educations. You cannot do this. It just, it's, it's yeah. I don't know how old Tom is now. He must be in his late 50s, yes? I reckon, right. yeah. Mid to late that's his best yeah, performance. But <laughs> <laughs> I will say I agree with a lot of his statements because that's what you don't realize is the film stars, uh, if he catches COVID, the, the film's over. That's it. But it's all these other people, the gaffers, the lighters, the on Dark Waters, I loved the support group. There was so many young women who were the assistant directors and the assistant to the assistant directors, but they basically led all these hundreds of extras around and said, you should be in this outfit and you go on now. <laughs> um, those people are gig employees as well. And if the industry shuts down um, again, uh, because there's a high profile disaster, uh, super spreader, you know, that we're talking about now some people losing their, uh, not being able to pay their mortgage, et cetera. Anyway, he, he was not, it's not that he was eloquent. He was just charged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, real quick, um, this is going to drop the night or the day uh, of the first running of the radio version that you're doing of a Christmas Carol. Uh, right. So it's it's just you, or or other people yeah. joining you? It's uh, on WVXU. It's on December the twenty third. At I always get these mixed. It's seven or eight, and then December the twenty fourth at uh, it's either seven or eight p.m. But uh, you can stream it on WVXU. Uh, it will be archived, so you might be able to uh, hear it afterwards. But yeah, it's just me. Um, and I get to do all of the ghosts. I get to do Jacob Marley and oh. the ghost of Christmas future and present and all that. Um, my women aren't that good. I don't know. <laughs> Josh and PF, I don't know how often you've had to 
had to do women. <laughs> but um, I've done drag shows, uh, drag roles in the past on stage. And oh, yeah, I did uh, I Am My Own Wife, which is about a uh, person that survived the Nazi occupation of Germany and then the Russian occupation afterwards. But this fellow um, um, identifies as a woman. Um, but I find when I'm doing radio, I love doing the voices and finding the voices. But if it does not sound, um, if it doesn't sound like it's even in the ballpark, boy, it's very hard for me to, for me to keep going as Martha Cratchit or, or Mrs. Peak. Or, but it's a fun production. I think, I think it's going to turn out wonderfully. I remember in college we did uh, a Christmas Carol. I just remembered this with all the WBGU uh, folks, and we had a lot of fun. We just we just winged it basically. I mean, we read up on the script, so we weren't fumbling over it. But of course, um, Jacob Marley, one guy decided to do it as Bob Marley. Um, I did. Uh, <laughs> who was I? Was the ghost? I was one of the ghosts. I did it as Richard Harris, but it was actually Dave Thomas of SCTV doing <laughs> Richard Harris. So I, I just channeled that, and so yeah. So it was. Oh, a lot of- but there's a great voice to to imitate, Richard Harris. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Dave Thomas used to do that thing where he'd make fun of how Richard would speak very softly and like really loud like this, and so that was kind of the shtick. And so I just borrowed that because it was fun. <laughs> so. Yeah, I watched Scrooged last night with my wife, and uh, my we had, hadn't seen that in such a long time. We'd forgotten how funny that film was. But it's the same thing. It's like, okay, they got the bare bones of Dickens, and then Bill Murray and, and company, they just go to town. They have a good time with it. <laughs> you haven't seen that movie in, in years. Um, well, we're uh, bumping up near the top of the hour. I know uh, Darren's got a heart out here uh, at 3, so we'll get to our last order of business. Uh, you want to do the honors, D? Sure, yeah. Uh, the big honor that we give all of our guests. Uh, let's see. Give us a promo code for the website. It, uh, so whatever phrase you would like will be... Uh, uh, be used for 20% off at cincyshirts.com or our over the Rhine or Hyde Park stores. People can come in oh, and say this word, say this phrase, and receive 20% off their order. So you have the honor. <laughs> uh, of course, you got Bah Humbug. Of course, you got God Bless Us, Everyone. Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of a really good one, though, that, that came up just in our show. Um, <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I'd go with Bah Humbug. It's, it's traditional. So, I'm sorry, it's so lame. No, that's a good one. Okay, Bah Humbug, I'm jotting it down here. And I'll give people on the other side the proper spelling for that. Uh, would you say it's B A H? B-A-H, B-A-H, yeah. Okay, fair, there we go. Well, there you go, folks. Do that. All lowercase, all uppercase. That part doesn't matter, of course. Uh, well, great. Well, right. Bruce, we really appreciate this. I, we want to do this for a long time. Every fall, I think, we need to get the guy that plays Scrooge on the podcast. And finally, we were able to make it happen. So, a uh, fascinating story. Okay, this was fun. Thank you, guys. Yeah. You are not only providing diversions for all of us that are stuck at home, but the actors and performers and all the people you're talking to, it's its a godsend to be able to talk about what we used to do for a living. <laughs> when hopefully we'll be doing okay. again soon. 
<laughs> Thank you. All right. Any social channels people can follow you on for like updates for like when this whole mess is over and they can actually go see you in yeah, a performance? I, I, I used to have a website of my own. Now you can, you, oh, you can look me up on IMDb ever since I did the film. I'm, I'm looking at uh, getting other acting work in films. So you can look up Bruce Cromer uh, and uh, you'll see my five film credits, most of them student films. Well, that's <laughs> credit's a credit. All right, that's Bruce. Well, uh, well, what's that? I said Instagram or Twitter or anything anywhere. No, I'm an old guy. I'm an old huh. guy. I do Facebook. And most of the time I get upset with people or what people are saying, so I don't do that that much anymore. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Yeah. All right, Bruce. Well, again, thanks again for doing this, and uh, we'll yes. talk to you again soon, hopefully. Great. Right. Health and happiness to you both. Thanks, hey, Bruce. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. Right. The moon is right. The spirit's up. We're here tonight, and that's enough. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Bruce Cromer, like I said, we've wanted to have him on for a long, long time, especially around Christmas time, and uh, finally this year we got it sorted, so uh, Merry Christmas to you here, this episode dropping two days before Christmas. Hope you enjoyed all that, look for Bruce uh, in that movie as well, and uh, when things get back to normal, if they ever do, check him out, of course, in any number of regional productions as well. Now, there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, or someone you'd like us to have back on the podcast, email us, podcast at cincyshirts.com, put podcast guest in the subject line, and give us a few sentences about why you'd like to have that person on the podcast or back on the podcast as the case may be. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, check out that Cincy Shirts podcast archive, 150 episodes back there now with this one included, so you'll find something there you like, I'm sure. Today's show is produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vegetees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and a lot more at OldSchoolShirts.com, just like Cincy Shirts, old defunct sports teams, restaurants, malls, all those fun things, uh, TV shows, TV stations. Uh, and again, the promo code for this episode is Bah Humbug. That's all one word. There's two H's in there. B-A-H-H-U-M-B. But, well, you get the point. Bah Humbug with two H's. All one word. All lowercase, all uppercase. That part does not matter. Use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.
Слушай себе, Пай.